gospel is a very particular word or kind of speech in the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, the gospel is God's promise of a son who will crush the serpent's head, forgive the sins of his people, raise them from the dead, and give them everlasting life solely on the basis of his grace for the sake of Christ. If you're interested in the, the beginnings of the church, you know, I think looking at the creed is a great way of, of getting into church history and really seeing where the faith kind of came together. In the scripture, the way it presents discernment is actually the skill that you develop where you're able to identify goodness. And what was surprising to me is that is much the way we use the language of discernment outside of the church. The real difference, I would say, like what patriarchy teaches versus what we should believe is that what they believe about the nature of men and women, that there is something fundamentally different about authority and submission between men and women. And that's not just like within particular relationships, but men and women in general. This is their nature. What are the duties required in the Ninth Commandment? The duties required in the Ninth Commandment are the preserving and promoting of truth between man and man. The Gospel never tells us something to do. The Gospel tells us about something that's been done. Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. This is Colleen Sharp, and Rachel Miller is my co-host. And today we're going to talk about sanctification and I had thought we did a full episode on sanctification. We have not. Well, we kind of did early, early, early in the podcast. Like I think within the first few months, we had had a guest on and and talked about sanctification. But we we really want to talk about what sanctification is. I think it's so misunderstood. And then also some problematic views on sanctification that are going around right now. I think it would be good to address those because I think a lot of people are, you know, trying to figure some of these things out. And I think sometimes if you don't understand these things well, you can hear somebody say something and you think, oh, well, that sounds right. Maybe not immediately know the errors with it, but um, understanding sanctification well, so that when you, when those errors come along, you recognize them. Uh, one of my favorite questions in the Westminster is, uh, what is sanctification? Because I it's just so clear and concise. So, I'll, I'll read that and we'll go from there. Westminster, Shorter Catechisms, um, what is sanctification? Sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. Sanctification is something that God does. I think that's the biggest misunderstanding. I think people think sanctification is something we do, but it is something that God does. Yeah, I think you're right that you know, that's where the the biggest um, misunderstanding often comes from is, is that sanctification is God's work, right? It's not our work that we do. Although, you know, as the, it says here that we're enabled more and more to die to sin, live into righteousness. So, the, the Spirit is at work in us, and the, He enables us to do uh, and say and live and be 
you know, more righteous. Uh, but it's still his work and not ours. Yeah, I think some people think sanctification is obeying and we're sanctified by um, our doing of good works. But I have a whole bunch of, of good articles I'm going to put in the episode notes that are helpful. Um, our Scott Clark has some really good ones on the subject. And then there's some other ones too. But our our good works are the fruit of the Lord's work in us. Absolutely. Um and I think this is where we have talked about it before. It wasn't an episode on sanctification, but where we've talked about uh, the purpose of good works and uh, for a believer, and also I think in assurance. When we talked about assurance. We've talked about some of these topics, uh, and I think we've even talked about whether or not we should look at sanctification as uh, monergistic or synergistic. Yeah. Is it? Yeah, that's always the question. Like every Reformed Facebook group, is sanctification monergistic or synergistic? <laughs> and that's where you keep going back to the the Catechism answers because they they work through these things for us uh, in a way that represents well what Scripture teaches, and so we can see you know it's the things it's, it's the work it's the work of the Spirit, so it's God's work. Um, it's us being renewed and also being given new hearts and new desires, and the ability to obey. And all of those things uh, are part of our sanctification process. You know, I think people fear that if you say that sanctification is God's work, it's not the synergistic, me and God work together, um, that it will lead to antinomianism. And I won't get into a lot of that right now, but we've talked about that before. I think we talked about that with John Fonville actually quite mm-hmm. a bit when we yeah. talked about antinomianism, but those in Christ are being set apart and they're are growing in obedience. That comment, that concern uh, was from the beginning of the Reformation. Uh, the uh, Catholic church, the Catholic scholars who were responding to the Reformation all said that if you say that salvation is by faith alone, if you say it's by faith alone through grace alone, then people will not do good works because there won't be any motivation for it. And so it's, you know, that's an interesting to see that the charge continues to show up that this, this concern, this idea. And if going to the, the Heidelberg catechism, what motivates us is gratitude uh, and the grace that we've received. We're not motivated by fear. We're not motivated by you must or else. Um, we're motivated out of gratitude and for our love for God. And because the Spirit's at work in us, you know, I keep going back to this, because the Spirit's at work in us, He's changing our heart and making us want to obey, we will do good works. Uh, and that's um, a quote from one of Scott Clark's articles. Uh, the Reformed Confession of God's Word is that good works are the fruit and evidence of our justification and sanctification. They are necessary as fruit and evidence of justification and sanctification, but they are not themselves the ground or instrument of justification, sanctification, or salvation. So, we will have good works because He's promised to do them, and He makes us able to do them and want to do them. Uh, but those good works are not any part of what actually saves us. One of the things um, that we've talked about before, too, and we'll just briefly touch on it now, is sometimes the confusing justification and sanctification. Mm -hmm. We've talked about lordship salvation, for instance, which is trying to add 
some sanctification in with justification and some of the different um, errors we've talked about on justification. That's exactly what they're doing is trying to add some sanctification into justification. Which undermines the whole gospel. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Uh, I have a, a couple things. I have something from Belgic Confession 22. Therefore, to say that Christ is not enough, but that something else is needed as well, is a most enormous blasphemy against God. That's talking specifically about justification. It's super important to get to get these things right, correctly understanding justification and sanctification. And then Westminster Confession of Faith 14.2, the principal acts of saving faith are accepting, receiving, and resting upon Christ alone for justification, sanctification, and eternal life by virtue of the covenant of grace. And one thing um, in reform circles, and I know it confuses some, it confuses some people, but sometimes when we're talking about salvation, we're talking about justification, sanctification, glorification. Yeah, when a lot of times what happens in the discussions, especially on um, justification, sanctification, good works, and understanding them, there is a sense that people use, they'll say, well, you know, we believe that justification is by faith alone, but salvation, or sometimes they say final salvation, is by faith and works, right? And it's that idea of bringing in works into through sanctification and and how it's viewed. And I think that it's important to understand that when we're talking about salvation, like Colleen said, we're talking about the whole process. So when we say salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, it's all of it from beginning to end. It's all God's work. And as the confession of the Westminster Confession says, what we do is accept it, we receive it, we rest upon it. Uh, on Christ alone, but we do not work for our justification or our sanctification or our salvation where our works and what we do um, are the the thing that saves us. The the As um, Scott Clark said in his, they're not the ground of our salvation. Amen to that. This is something you're trying to understand because even in reform circles, I, I see so much confusion on this. On, on sanctification, um, definitely look at the, at the resources that I, I put in the episode notes. So, Westminster Shorter Catechism says that justification is an act of God's free grace. Sanctification is a work of God's free grace. But the common theme there is they are things that the Lord does in us. I wanted to read one more quote. There's an article put in the episode notes called The Logic of Fruit as Evidence by R. Scott Clark, and thought it was really helpful. So, he says, where Rome, the Socians, and Richard Baxter made good works the antecedent condition of our salvation, the law of works, they played the same role as faith. The Protestants made good works the necessary consequence of our salvation. So, you can kind of see in those errors that they were making works antecedent condition of our salvation, but what, um, which is the wrong way to look at it. But we are talking about uh, sanctification and then the fruit of our sanctification, our good works, the necessary consequence of our salvation. According to the moralists, we do good works in order to be saved. According to the Protestants, we 
do good works because we have been saved. One says, in effect, that we are saved from the flood um, judgment, partly through faith and partly through our good works. The other says we obey out of gratitude in union and communion with the risen Christ because we have been saved, as it were, from the flood. And he says this is the best understanding of Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. And we hear um, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 quoted a lot, but 10 is good, is part of what's being talked about there too. One of the things I think you'll see is when the error, a lot of the errors are similar. They're just repackaging them in different ways. So we wanted to talk about something that's been going around, and that's kind of why we're talking about this this week. There's been an idea that's been going around, and it's a wrong idea, and I think it's confusing some people, and some people think it sounds right, or if they if they don't know any better, and we think it's important to kind of talk about some of these dangerous ideas that are out there. And the idea is believing that sanctification is gendered. Do you want to talk about that, Rachel? Sure. There's a quote from an article uh, on the idea, uh, expressing this idea. Um, it says, being holy as a man means growing in your masculinity, taking initiative, responsibility, learning to sacrifice and love. Being holy as a woman means growing in your femininity, cultivating fruitfulness, beauty, and wisdom. Holiness is not gender neutral. And so that's a, a an example of the kind of discussion that's going on uh, over this about sanctification as a gendered uh, idea or gendered concept. And as we're going to get into this a little further and talking about sanctification and whether or not it is gendered, um, basically the idea this is a, a continuation of the discussion uh, uh, about ontology that we've talked about before that we've been discussing, um, it's been discussed recently in the last few years um, over things that I've written, things that Amy Bird has written in particular. Um, but there's a desire in these discussions that they, that instead of talking about human nature, what we're talking about is there's a male nature and a female nature, and then so there must be male ways of being sanctified and female ways of being sanctified. And it's as we'll get to, it's it's very dangerous to start making that division. Um, it it really causes some some pretty considerable problems in our our theology of salvation and in our Christology, our beliefs about Christ. And like I said, we'll get to that in a minute. But so to start with, this is what's being said: this idea that um, that sanctification is not just something for Christians, that there is a male sanctification and a female sanctification. And when we're, t we're talking about uh, the things that we've talked about before, the people that believe that men and women have different ontologies, and we've talked about ESS also. And if you go back and listen to our episode with uh, Glenn Butner on, on ESS, if you really take this to uh, its logical conclusion: Did Christ even die for women? Right. You know, this is something. This this division of us, um, the Christian body, into the female Christians and the male Christians, and you know, you have this this complete separation in our um, discipleship, 
I mean, this is something that Amy Bird's talked a lot about um, in her last book, Recovering from Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. Uh, she talks about the pink and blue study Bibles. Um, and she's like, do we need different Bibles? Are, are we, and not that are, are men and women different? Yes, of course we are. Um, do we have, are there topics that might be of interest specifically for women? Certainly, specifically for men. Absolutely. But when we're talking about discipleship, sanctification, we're talking about growing in holiness and becoming more Christ-like, this is not something that should be split up into pink and blue Bibles, pink and blue, um, pink and blue sanctification. This is not, not what we should be doing uh, with the body of Christ. So to quote uh, a couple places from Amy's book, she says, producing devotional Bibles specifically geared toward women, men and women separately shapes the way we do our devotions and the very way we read, interpret, and apply scripture. It puts a lens of interpretation on God's word, the lens of biblical manhood and womanhood. The underlying message is that there is a man's version and a woman's version to read. There is a male and female way to meditate on the Bible's teaching, and this separates the sexes by our cultural gender paradigms. While the intentions of reaching men and women may be good, it conditions men and women to constantly reflect on how God's word is relevant to their own sex. The emphasis is on the differences between men and women. Um, so Amy goes on to say, God made male and female, but we need to be careful not to reduce us by our distinctions. Men are more like women than any other creature God made. Adam poetically acknowledged this when God made Eve. Men and women are not opposing beings. We are all human beings bearing the image of God. Offering two versions of scripture separates and isolates our devotion time, ignores our likenesses, and misses all the important nuances in our distinctions. As I've heard this discussion this last week, you don't read the Bible and say, okay, well, these parts are for me because I'm a woman, and these parts over here are for my husband. E even when it's talking about, just even thinking about, well, here's an example. We've talked before about it almost seems like with this way of thinking, like the fruits of the spirit are for the women mm -hmm. and being strong. That's for the men, you know, the armor of God's for men and the fruit right. of the spirit for women. Mm -hmm. Right. But that that's not what scripture says. And it goes back to the question that you, you mentioned from the episode with Glenn Butner. Uh, did Jesus suffer and die as a male only or as a human? Right. So how are women saved? And, and or how are women, and not just how are women uh, justified, but how are women sanctified? Because this sanctification is the process of making us like Christ. So if it's gendered, and Christ represents the the ideal male, then who are women supposed to be like? Whose image are we made in? Who are we supposed to be conformed to? And it's it's a dangerous point to get to and say. You know, well, you know, it's just different that men men are sanctified differently from women, and we just need to accept the fact that we're being made holy in different ways, and and you know, just is that way. And I mean, I get the concern that people are making that you know, in, in a society that has that is both over focused on all things gender and also undermining any meaning in the terms of gender that we want to be faithful to scripture we want to be faithful to the way god created men and women but at the same time 
we need to be careful that we aren't undermining very important doctrines in our our understandable concern to to be culturally relevant on the terms uh, on term in terms of gender if that makes sense. Sorry. Yeah, no, that was really good. You know, one thing I don't want to neglect to say, I know that there are verses specifically for mothers or fathers or women or men. Um, But that that's not what we're talking about. I mean, they're literally saying that sanctification itself is gendered. And I think there's two errors in this view, what you're talking about right now, Rachel, but also thinking that sanctification is something I do. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think it's a wrong understanding of the Reformed doctrine of sanctification also, but then, well, the whole thing is wrong understanding of it. You see a tendency to make things things only about men or distinctions only about men, only about women that are not distinctions that scripture makes. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where, you know, this issue of what our nature is, you know, do we have, is there one human nature that and humans come in either male or female, or is there a female nature and a male nature? Um, one one author tries to answer this question. He's realized that in in making such a distinction between men and women, and to the point of our natures being different, um, you have to address you know how are women saved? How uh, how are women sanctified? And so what he says is this. Um, male and female are the two relational poles of humanity. If Christ merely restores and perfects the male pole, the human race is not truly saved. There must be restoration of both the male and the female poles of humanity. Christ must restore and perfect the image, the image Dei. But if the picture that I have presented is correct, he's saying, this must involve the restoration and perfection of a particularly female way of imaging God. And so what he says is, in order to restore the imago Dei, Dei, Christ must come as a man, as the male pole is the initiating pole. The female pole then is restored by means of the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he goes on, the Spirit is the sponsor of the feminine. The Spirit completes, glorifies, and perfects what Christ started. Women image the work of the Spirit in a particular manner. And this... Is very well, disturbing. It's very disturbing. <laughs> like it's, I, I get the point that he is, he is following the logical conclusions of where he, of where he started. Like it, this is a logical conclusion that there has to be something different for women because of the way he set this up. But it's, it's extremely disturbing. Um, I, I'm disturbed by the, the idea that the spirit is the feminine, right? Like I, I know that yeah, there, there are this is, teachings that go that way, but the spirit is not feminine in that sense. No, no, this is wow. I mean, and and again, I know that there is um, a, a large body of feminist, particularly feminist literature and scholarship um, that that speaks of the spirit as she that speaks of the spirit uh, in terms of the feminine. But from scripture, all of the the pronouns, all of the words around um, the Holy Spirit as you know, the person of the Holy Spirit is, is masculine. It's referred to as he and him. Um, and you know, yes, of course, 
you know the the word spirit uh, in both Hebrew and in Greek are word are feminine words in the sense that words in other languages have gender, masculine or feminine. But it doesn't mean like everybody, every human has a spirit. That doesn't mean that men have a female spirit, women have a female spirit. It just means that the word has a gender to it. Just like in, in Spanish, a uh, table is feminine, paper right. is masculine. You know, it, it just, it's just the, the way the word works. Um, it, it's just, it's very, very interesting to me to see someone who would not support feminist literature and feminist um, scholarship, the- theological scholarship, taking this approach to the spirit. Yeah. And you're going to end up with some Trinitarian errors here too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've talked about a teacher that um, in talking about, he's not talking about ESS, but essentially believes in it, you know, t- um, talking about, you know, God, the father being in the category of men and the um, son being the women and the Holy spirit being the children. And this is, it's just stuff that's not in scripture. This is just making stuff up that this, that scripture doesn't talk about. Because scripture does actually tell us how we're saved. It does actually tell us how we're sanctified. Um, You know, the, the catechisms, the confessions, all of these works by um, scholars talking about these issues never felt the need to stop and say, well, by the way, women are saved differently. Or by the way, women are sanctified differently. It just, and and they certainly weren't feminists writing it. Like this, these were godly men writing about scripture and this is not what they came to. Um, so the point as Colleen mentioned earlier, if men and women don't have the same human nature, then did Christ die as a human or as a male? And if he died only as a male, then how are women saved? And there's a um, a pretty famous quote by Gregory of Naziansis, um, where he says, what is not assumed by Christ in his carnation, so in this case it would be a female nature, can't be redeemed by his life, death, and resurrection. So if Christ did not take on the same nature that I have, then I was not represented. My nature was not represented in, the, in his life and death and resurrection. I think some of these people almost come close to arguing that women are saved um, differently. I don't want to say that, that that's what they're arguing, but some of the things that, and I wish I would have looked up some examples, but even, even in the view like a husband being the prophet, priest, and king for his wife, the priest, as if the husband is mediating between the wife and God, that there's something different than the, there's something different with the female Christian as opposed to the male Christian and how the relationship with God works. Some people use the prophet, priest, and king and don't mean it literally, but I have heard teachers that say that the the husband and father mediates um, between the the wife and children and God, and so th- there's a lot of implications with with these views. Um, one of the other passages that I, passages that I have seen uh, recently in these discussions is First Timothy two fifteen. Uh, but women will be preserved or saved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self restraint. 
So taking that verse, you'll see, you know, it talks about women and salvation are being saved and, and in the, the context of being mothers and wives and, and good works. And so, you know, this is talking about, this must be talking about uh, some part of our uh, salvation, sanctification, um, et cetera. And I mean, first off, it is one of the most difficult passages for interpretation. And I don't say that just because, oh, it's hard to understand and I don't like what it says. I, I perfectly like the passage. I'm I'm interested in understanding what it means. But if you read any, like a handful of scholars on it from different perspectives, all of them are going to say, it's really hard to know what Paul's getting at here. Um, the, the way the words are used, words that are here, how it says this, does it mean a woman, the woman, women in plural, um, by the bearing of a child, by the bearing of Christ, is it, you know, what what's going on in this passage? And so, um, I'm hesitant to take a passage that is not very clear and use it to read into and interpret other passages which are very clear uh, and change their meanings. So, if we're going to make a point that women are saved differently or sanctified in a gendered way separately from men and use that passage when all of the other passages that in scripture that talk about salvation and sanctification and the way the, the means and the methods, all of them are, are, are very clear and don't get into gendered uh, differences in salvation. Uh, it's just very important that we be careful how we're using scripture. And one way we do interpret scripture is um, with other scripture. We don't read one little verse out of context and um, make a conclusion all by itself. Well, and the problem here too is like if we're if we're going to go follow this along and say okay that women are sanctified through marriage and childbearing and um, being good wives and mothers, the problem is that you make a path for sanctification that doesn't apply to all women. And because there are many godly women who have never married, there are many godly women who have and can never bear children, um, and they love the Lord and they uh, they serve Him well in their lives. And to be told then that because they are missing this aspect uh, in in their life, that then they are really not being sanctified fully or completely, and they can't really be saved because they've missed out on this part, um, is to do great damage to to women in those situations. Yeah, and we've we've done some damage just in the church and sometimes sing I mean when you things like um a woman's greatest calling is motherhood, you know? Mm-hmm. And there's some very godly women that are called to serving Christ that are not mothers. They're not missing out on the greatest calling they were supposed to have. Mm-hmm. So I wonder I wonder what the people that are teaching this do with Galatians 3:28. There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Well, they're certainly doing damage to the unity that we have. Um, and, you know, that's that's the point of that we're getting at here, right? You know, men and women are different. Obviously, we know that. Um, 
but human nature is not divided so that there's a male nature and a female nature. Um, men and women made in the image of God. You see that in Genesis 1. You know, male and female, he created them, right? In the image of God, he made them. Male and female, he created them. Um, we have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, and we are Christ's body together, united to Christ, men and women. And we are all called to pursue pursue both the fruit of the Spirit and put on the armor of God. And this is for all Christians. You know, are there, you know, as Colleen pointed out, are there passages that speak directly to things, uh, directly to um, wives and mothers, uh, directly to husbands, fathers? Yes, there are. Uh, on the whole, it's much. It's a very small percentage of the total scripture of what we're told uh, and how we're called to live. Um, and I think it's important that we we should focus proportionately on that as well. Right? So if the majority of what we're being taught is applies to everyone, then we should spend the majority of our time on that. Right, but those things do not mean that sanctification is gendered. No, and I mean. God's going to use all parts of our lives for our sanctification, right? So if you're married, that will be part of your sanctification. If you have children, that too will be used as part of your sanctification. Um, there's there's a very a very challenging part of raising a child who has your same um, weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> seeing your sin married back to you <laughs> in your child, it's 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 different. Um, I remember when. Um, even my dad would get frustrated with me and say, you're just like your mom. <laughs> like, so what frustrates you about her frustrates you about me. <laughs> right. And so for every Christian, that process of sanctification is going to be unique to that person and how the God's working in that person's life. But that doesn't mean that there are separate modes or channels of sanctification based on gender. And, and again, I say, go back to understanding exactly what sanctification is. Sanctification is a work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die into sin and live unto righteousness. That's what sanctification is. Absolutely. And all of us are being made, remade into the image of Christ, male and female. We're being made in Christ's image. Well, I I will put um, in the episode notes a bunch of resources that I think are so helpful. Some of them are things that were helpful to me several years ago when I just wanted to understand this better. And I I think too, I recommend looking at uh, Westminster Catechism and Confession. And one of the things when you're trying, when I'm trying to understand something better, I'll go through the proof text um, on, on the catechism or confession. And that can be really helpful if this is something that you're trying to understand well. Because there's a lot of good verses in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 is is really an excellent one. I think actually all of Ephesians 2 in mm-hmm. kind of understanding, you know, starts off um, that we're dead in sin and made alive in Christ and kind of goes from there in, in the work um, of God in us. So um, thank you so much for joining us a little bit shorter episode. We'll see you next week.